Legend has it that tequila was discovered by a rabbit, or rather, a farmer's wife who noticed a group of tipsy rabbits after they ate some fermented agave. I'm not fully sure if that's really how it happened, but I'm glad it did happen. Today we're going to talk to a brand that has embraced that rabbit, and with a little bit of luck and a lot of hard work, they created Suerte Tequila. On this episode of The Agave Social Club Podcast, hosted by me, Doug Price. I'm here with Lawrence Spiewak, who is the president and co-founder of Suerte Tequila. Lawrence, thank you so much for being on the show and welcome. Thank you very much. I appreciate having me, Doug. Uh, We've had scenarios where you've got friends sitting around in a backyard, sipping on tequila. And at some point, somebody says, we should start a tequila brand. (laughs) And and for most 99.9% of those scenarios, that is the extent of that business plan. That was not the case for you and Lance, your co-founder. Can you share the journey of what it was like from we should start a tequila brand to actually starting Suerte Tequila? Essentially, the way it worked for Lance and I was that we had both been working in the consumer packaged goods industry, um, producing and selling and marketing skincare products. And we kind of knew the back end of an operational situation, how to operate a business and we were learning a lot about tequila together. We both had passion for tequila and for Mexico in general. And so the first time we said, hey, let's start a tequila brand, we were at the liquor store in, in Boulder, Colorado, where, where we're based, and looking at a shelf full of many different varieties of, of tequila and, and brands of tequila, and just looked at each other and said, man, it'd be so much fun to start a tequila brand someday. We're having fun with soap and lotions. And all these products that we're doing now, um, wouldn't it be really fun to, to apply everything we know to a tequila brand? That was the first time we said it. And then what happened from there was we we agreed that we would start in doing a lot of business planning to, to see what it would take to start a, a tequila brand. And we worked on it off and on pretty hard for six years, actually. And so what happened for us is we would sit down together and we'd do a lot of business planning and we'd be writing notes and, and outlines and documents and things and trying to figure out the best way to set up a business plan for a tequila brand. And, and every time we did that, we came to the point in the conversation where it's like, okay, clearly what we're seeing here on paper is that it's going to cost millions of dollars to actually create and build and be successful with a tequila brand. And neither of us had the money at the time. So every time we'd get to the point where we realized we needed a lot of money, we'd put it aside and kind of just start keep focusing on the job, the jobs that we had at the time and our families and paying our bills and doing what we needed to do. But that went off and on, I'd say, for six years to the point where Lance found himself working for one of the largest agave nectar importers in the country, which just so happened to be based here in Colorado. And one of his trips down to Mexico to manage the supply chain for that business, he met Pedro. He met our master distiller and came in contact with him for the first time. And so that's kind of the background. I mean, it, it took a long time and a lot of questions and answers and research and all that kind of stuff that we were doing and talking to people in the industry and trying to figure out how we would actually go about starting a tequila brand of our own. I heard once, and, and you can tell me if it's true or not, that when Lance was in Mexico, he was somewhere, I don't know if it was a party or a gathering, 
and and it was somebody that he he did not know came up to him with uh, a open bottle that that didn't really have much packaging or labeling on it and said try this which which normally is not advice we you know would get, would give our kids right <laughs> yeah for sure so it's it, that's exactly what happened so there was there there was someone that he met other than Pedro initially at this party culturally in Mexico one of the things that happens a, a company or a supplier of some good to a buyer will actually throw a, a party or a lunch or a, an occasion to celebrate their partnership and to get to know each other better. And so what was going on was Lance was invited to a gathering, a, a dinner or lunch, probably, because in Mexico, it often happens over the lunch hour. But he was invited to a lunch that was being thrown in his honor because he was one of the largest buyers of agave and agave nectar from this one particular company down there and this one organization down there. And at that event, there was one person there present who had a bottle of Pedro's Blanco tequila that was truly unmarked and and asked him if he wanted to taste it. He was a little skeptical, but he listened and heard the story and he said, okay, I'll give it a try. And so they sipped on some and he, he thought it was exceptional. And so that person had said to him, I know you're from the States the guy who makes this is looking for someone in the U.S. to fill bottles for. He's got a lot of surplus. He's been trying to do business in Mexico without much success. If you know anybody in the U.S., will you please take this bottle home with you and share it with, with them or with somebody to see if maybe there's a possibility of an introduction that can happen between someone you know and this person that I know, and we can match it up and and try and get people connected to to work with one another. And, and so that's that is truly how it happened. And so then after, you know, six years uh, off and on of, of thinking and prepping and business planning, he brings this bottle to you and you guys say, hey, this may be the opportunity that, that we've been waiting for. Yeah, without a question. So he, he brought the bottle home. He set it out on his kitchen table, invited me over, offered me some. And I, I noticed there was no label on the bottle. And so I said, well, wait a minute. I should probably ask a couple questions, you know, what's, what do you, what are you having me drink here? If there's no label, like, what is this stuff? You know? And he's like, it's Blanco tequila. It's really good. Just, just give it a try. And then we can talk about it. So I did. And I agreed with him immediately. We had been at the time we had been tasting pretty much every brand on the shelf we could find. We were buying every bottle we could find taste testing and just getting to know over that six year period, we were spending a lot of time getting to know what was out there on the market, what we liked, what we didn't like why we didn't like things, why we did like things, and just trying to figure out where we would fit if we were truly going to start a tequila brand together. And so this bottle was magical for us. It really tasted better than most Blancos we had tasted. And uh, I asked him to tell me the story, which he did, which I, I just shared with you. He said, look, we've been talking about starting a tequila brand for six years on and off. We keep putting it down and picking it up and putting it down and picking it up. I'm wondering if today you would commit on a handshake to move forward with our dream and our vision to start a tequila brand. And I said, well, what's the story? Where did it come from? And he told me that about Pedro and about how he had met somebody who knows Pedro and that he could get in touch with Pedro and talk to him. And, and so I said, yeah, absolutely. I'm on a handshake. So we agreed that day in his kitchen to, to go head first into creating a tequila brand. And the agreement was, is that we'd give it a try if we were successful then we would be successful and, and move forward and build a business. And if we weren't successful, we had agreed that we would finally put it to rest for good, that we, we would just stop working on it. There would be no more back and forth, up and down, yes, no, 
let's do it, let's not do it, that kind of thing, and worrying about it. We just wanted to give it a shot. And so that's what that first bottle of tequila represented to us. And then how soon from that spot, how soon were you guys back in Mexico with Pedro kind of talking through what this would look like? It was roughly within two to three months after after tasting, after I tasted that bottle that Lance had brought back. The first thing we did was contacted Pedro and asked him if he'd be willing to work with us. He said yes. Um, he had explained that at the time, the distillery that he owned and was running with, that his family owned with him was for sale and that they had been entertaining the possibility of selling the facility. And so Lance actually at that time got on the phone with Pedro's uh, cousin, who was one of the lead investors in, the, in their project down there, and convinced his cousin at that time to pull the, the facility off the market and to not sell it and to work with us. So at the same time, what we had done is we had requested from Pedro whether there was a way to get more samples from him. So we were looking to taste, obviously, Reposado and Añejo, and because um, we knew he had those, but we didn't have access to them. So within a couple months, we had booked flights and made plans to go down there because not only did we want to meet Pedro in person, talk with him and his family, and try and put a deal together, but we also wanted to get some bottles of his tequila to bring back with us so that we could start sharing with people and let people try it and taste it and get, get people's feedback. You go there, you're tasting it, you're liking what you're tasting. You, you guys are, are talking with Pedro and it sounds like, you know, since it's been in his family and, and tequila on its own is very family centered and traditional, you guys kind of work a deal to, he, he's a part of Suerte as well. And now you guys have started Suerte Tequila. How, how soon from starting it to actually having product out on the, on the shelves or in the restaurants? Well, that trip when we went down, the first trip, we, we spent a lot of time uh, visiting with Pedro and his entire family and getting to know each other. That's the beauty of Mexican culture and doing business in Mexico is people, people genuinely want to know who you are and what you're about and they want to get to know you before they enter business relationships with you. So we spent a lot of time that trip for a couple of days getting to know each other. And then the trip culminated in Guadalajara, where we went to uh, one of his family's offices, uh, where we got, there was a couple lawyers that were present and we drew up a, an agreement that was a two-year agreement. They were gonna produce tequila for two years that we could bottle under the name that we, we hadn't you know come up with the exact name yet, but that we were going to import under whatever name we created and we were going to import and sell a certain amount. And so we had a signed agreement when we left that time to get started from there. It basically took us eight months to get everything put together, all the legal work done, all the branding work done, everything that we needed to do and getting our first shipment of tequila into the U S and specifically into a warehouse in Denver, Colorado. It was an eight month period, basically. Which, I mean, after, you know, spending years and years working on a business plan and kind of seeing if this thing would ever happen, you know, eight months is actually pretty quick from let's agree to having bottles ready. Do you remember what it was like when you sold your, your first bottle here in the States or your first case? Yeah, I mean, that was really exciting. It was an incredibly exciting time. So, I mean, you're, you're very well aware, I'm sure that, you know, all of the business we do is through distributors in the U.S. And so, our first sale was really to the first distributor that carried our product in Denver for the Colorado market. And that was basically a pallet of Suerte tequila. So 80 cases, it was a mixed pallet, you know, mostly Blanco and Reposado and some Añejo. But that was an incredibly exciting time. I mean, I had, you know, we had 
somebody buying a, I, I forget exactly what they paid us for that at that time, but it, you know, it was tens of thousands of dollars and we were like, wow, we actually got a check, you know, like this is amazing. Uh, before we start tasting any of it, can you talk a little bit uh, about the process of, you know, Pedro's process? Uh, you, you are doing tequila the right way, very uh, traditional, but but starting from, you know, even the, the agave fields, what's that process like going up before it goes into a bottle? So our process is really very traditional in many aspects. Pedro is an agave grower. He's also an avocado grower, as well as a master distiller. Pedro was a, Pedro was an attorney in Guadalajara for 20 plus years, you know, in, in his past life, you know, so to speak, um, that was his career before, but when he built the facility, so, so Suerte's uh, distillery is in Atotonilco, El Alto. Um, so it's the same town as some amazing brands like Don Julio and Patron and Siete Leguas and, and, and these amazing distilleries and businesses that are, that are located there. And Pedro decided, when he decided to build a distillery to produce tequila, it just so happened he grew up in that town. And so he knew all the people working in those facilities. So he went around to different friends and people he knew in the business and just started asking questions. And when he went and asked some people like, well, how do I process the agave? You know, how do I, how should I cook it? Well, you can use an autoclave or you can use a brick oven. And, but the brick oven is really the best way to go because you get the more flavor and it's really the traditional way. Well, how should I extract the sugars? Should I shred it? Should I crush it? How should I do it? And everybody said, well, traditionally it was crushed, you know, and that's really the best way to do it. So he was just going around gathering information and talking to people and understanding the way that, you know, tequila production works. And at the end of the day, when he built the facility, he went with a brick oven and he went with a stone wheel, you know, the traditional Tejona and did things as traditionally as he could because Pedro's interest in producing tequila was he'll say it himself. He, he uses the word he uses is noble. His, his interest was creating the most noble tequila that he possibly could yeah. um, in the process. He didn't want to mass produce. He didn't want to do it fast. He didn't want to use modern equipment. He wanted to do it the traditional way. And if you meet him in person, you'd understand right, right away why he chose that because he's really down to earth. He's an incredible man. And his interest was not purely making money and high production. His interest was craft. It was producing something that's made right and tastes good and that people would enjoy. Yeah. Well, tasting the tequila, I mean, you can tell that, that he really respects the agave and, and does have a huge respect for it and for that tradition. Uh, for anybody that doesn't know, can you, can you tell them what a Tohona is? You know, cause there are very few distilleries today that are, that are still using one. So what a Tohona is, is it's a, it's a giant stone round wheel. The way I often try and describe it to people, especially when they can't see a, a photo of it, is that it, if you think of the Flintstones, you know, or you think of, you know, prehistoric things that used to happen in the world. Um, and the stone wheel has been around forever and ever for different purposes, um, whether it would be processing grapes or olives or whatever it was over, over the millennia that people have been using stone wheels. And so it's a 3,000 pound volcanic stone wheel. The rock itself was harvested from a, a small quarry just down the road from the distillery. And then it was handcrafted by the one person in the town of Atotonilco who's responsible for crafting uh, stone wheels for, for tequila production. You know, we were told it took him two or three months of every day by hand working on the stone wheel. And so essentially a tahona is the apparatus that you use for extracting sugar. And so what you're doing is you're crushing agave with the stone 
rather than using a shredder, which uses blades to tear the agave apart. Pedro believes, and, and I agree with him wholeheartedly, that using shredders, it, it doesn't mean you can't create good tequila using shredders. There's lots of good tequila out there that's made using a shredder. But what we believe is that those blades in the shredder tear the fatty acid chains apart, the sugars apart. And that break breaking those fatty acid chains in the process creates a higher methanol distillation and distillate in the end. And so using a Tohona is really advantageous. Right. And before that Tohona, you've got your, your agave hearts, the pinas, that they are uh, in the brick ovens. And, and I read somewhere, I mean, for, for over 50 hours, they are slow roasting in the in those ovens, naturally cooling, and then they're being crushed with that tohona to to extract those juices. Correct. Yeah. So we we bring agave into the facility, whether it's our own or being bought on the open market. We we cut up cut the pinas come whole, and so we cut them into quarters. We stack them into a brick oven, and we slow roast for fifty six hours in a traditional brick oven, which is pretty high industry standard. You know, for for industry standard, um, from what we've heard and learned and understood over the last eight years is 56 hours is definitely at the top of the charts on how long people are really roasting. So it's 160 degrees Fahrenheit at 50, 56, uh, for 56 hours. So it's a slow roast. Half of the time that it's in there is building the heat and getting it to 160. And the second half of the time that it's in there is when they turn the oven off and let it cool the rest of the way. And it just cooks the entire time. And you get this really nice roast and caramelization of sugars. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to taste cooked agave, but slow roasted agave, when you taste it, it's like a mix between, I always compare it to a mix between pineapple and sweet potato. But if you really get into the heart of the agave and cut a piece of that out and take a bite of it, it's just, it's, it has the consistency of a sweet potato, but tastes a little bit more like a pineapple to me anyway. That slow roast is is what you're after. I mean, that's the magic right there. So from there, it's 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 going to the Tohona. It's being crushed for for many hours to really extract. You know, from from what I'm seeing with your process, is you guys are, are not in any rush. I mean, you guys are doing it the right way, not trying to just get it out onto the shelves. You want a product that, again, noble that you you can say, hey, we are respecting this tequila and and doing it the right way. Correct. I think it's 16 hours in the Tohona, in the Tohona is what it takes for one whole oven full of agave. From there, uh, are we going into fermentation or what's what's the next step after it's been crushed? Yeah. So during the crushing process, you're extracting sugars with the Tohono. You're also adding spring water, um, really pure, beautiful spring water that comes from our wells on our property to that mixture to help extract sugars even more from the fibers of the agave. And then we're collecting all of that liquid in a, in a tank that's kind of underground level so that we can use gravity to get it all down into there. And then all of that liquid that's been extracted from the agave and using the spring water is then pumped up into fermentation tanks and we go into fermentation. So our, our fermentation happens in stainless steel tanks. It is open air, um, but we're pitching yeast. We're not, we're not relying on natural yeast in the air at this point. The facility uh, isn't old enough and hasn't been used enough in order to do that. And But yeah, we're fermenting slowly for 72 hours without using any accelerants or adding anything to it. So after it's fermented, then what, what's the next step there? So after fermentation, you end up, you have your mosto at that point. You know, you're talking, you know, six to 8% alcohol, something to that level. You take that liquid and then you start your distillation process. We have two stills in our facility. One is a 6,000 liter uh, still that's double jacketed stainless steel still, pot still. 
Um, and then we have a 4,000 liter smaller still that's stainless on the outside, but it's lined with copper on the inside. And that's our finishing still. So from the fermentation tanks, the liquid goes into the first still, the larger still, and, and gets basically cooked and evaporates off and becomes your ordinario. And then we take the ordinario and put it into the smaller still. And we, we distill that liquid a step further. Um, and that's how you end up with your Blanco tequila. And then is that Blanco, is that resting? Is it going right into a bottle or what's that next step? So, yeah, we, we like to rest our Blanco. Um, whenever possible, we like to rest it for up to two months in stainless steel before we bottle it. Is that just, is that giving some, is it aeration? Is it giving some oxygen? What is that what that's doing there? He wanted to let it rest. He wanted to let it mellow. He knew that by letting it sit, he could get oxygen into it and he could get as much methanol uh, evaporating off of it as possible and, and really get more of a clean, um, mellowed version of, of Blanco. We're, we're doing that a little less these days, which is an interesting story is when we first started, one of the f- pieces of feedback I was getting, because I was the face of the company and still am and, and was the salesperson, you know, cruising around the country trying to sell tequila. Um, I was getting from people who knew tequila and knew Blanco, especially, I was getting a lot of feedback that our Blanco was too, what people were calling too safe. It was really mellow and really sweet and really easy drinking, which is partly what we fell in love with about it. But when we started manufacturing at a higher level in 2016, we went to Pedro and we told him that we wanted to tweak the formula slightly and bring a little bit more edginess to it and a little more character, different characteristics to it to give it a little bit more of a bite and a little bit more character. Um, Cause that's what we had been hearing for what was it? The first three or four years we were in business, it was missing a certain bite that people were looking for. So I, I've got some Blanco in, in front of me. I, I'm not sure if you, if you've got some Blanco in front yeah. of you as well. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very crisp uh, from, if, you know, if you're, you're looking at it and uh, you know, off, off the nose, that agave, I mean, you, you guys are celebrating that agave clearly I get, and, and I've even read this in a very, that there's a sweetness there, but almost, I, I say grass, yeah. but, but that's in the best way. That's in the best way. But and I don't know if that's the Tohono, that minerality that's coming through with it. But, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's very herbal there and, uh, and, and almost a grassy, you know, smell, uh, but, but just smells great. No, I agree with you. That's one of the ways that I explain our Blanco to people. I just did a training the other day here in Boulder at a, at an on-premise a restaurant. Um, one of the many that are trying to survive right now and, and they wanted to do some more staff education to see what they could do to help uh, move more tequila. And people were asking me, you know, well, what should I be tasting in the Blanco? And what should I be getting? And I always describe it to people. Grassy is what I tell everybody. Uh, herbaceous. Um, just, just very crisp and clean and, and green. I've had people ask me if we add citrus flavor to this Blanco because they, some people get a lot of lime, like a lot of citrus in it. I don't, I don't personally get that. But, but I agree with you completely. Grass vegetal. Our Blanco, in my opinion, is an amazing representation of what Blanco can be, what tequila can be if it's done in the right way. Well, hey man, salute and let's go and try some of this Blanco. Salute. Yeah, very, very fresh. That agave's there. It, it's it's very, very drinkable. A little of that pepper on the back end there, you know, probably from that soil and the agave fields. But, but like you said, this is a Blanco that is done the right way that I, I could just sip on 
all, all day long. Yeah. I know it would also also be great in a cocktail, but 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 this is a real traditional blanco, and not to mention at a price point that is phenomenal. Uh, so re- really great product right here. Thank you very much. Uh, I've got the reposado here. So the reposado has been aged for seven months in used whiskey barrels. The barrels that our reposado has been aged mainly in, um, mainly I think we, we buy barrels through a broker like most people do. And it just so happened, we didn't even request it, but it just so happened that most of the barrels that we bought at the time we bought barrels for reposado were brown foreman barrels. There's a lot of you know early times, some Jack Daniels. Um, I've seen a couple barrels in our facility that said Heaven Hill on them. It just, it's used whiskey ultimately is what it is. Um, and that's what Pedro was requesting from the barrel broker when he, when he buys barrels is he just wants used whiskey. And so the Reposado has been sitting in a used whiskey barrel for seven months. And if you look, if you look at this Reposado, it, it looks like if you were to tell me it was resting for three months, I would say totally understand that, but it is so light uh, again, Pedro, just respect to Pedro for, for really knowing how, how to uh, char this and, and, and how to do it the right way. Because in color for seven months, it's, it's very light uh, on the nose. I get I mean, that, that oak is starting to come through. For me, I'm getting a little bit of that vanilla a, a, as well. What, what's kind of some of the aromas that you guys tend to pull out of here? Um, for me, what I generally get from it is a lot of butterscotch. Yeah caramel notes and that's that has a lot to say for the caramelization of the sugars in the oven i mean when you taste it that that butterscotch caramels actually really are there and i I think the time in the barrel really kind of mellows out any of that grassy from from the blanco that that really kind of steps aside that that agave is still very much there but then i mean you know hints of oak but that vanilla and that butterscotch and caramel those really start to to come through uh excellent excellent reposado again i i I'm a reposado guy, and uh, the first time I had this was in a restaurant, and I, I told a buddy about it afterwards, and he said, what did it taste like? And I just said, I said, butter. <laughs> I mean, just butter. This was just, uh, you know, creamy butterscotch, uh, a really, really nice reposado. Yeah, thank you very much. I agree with you completely. This is, when I'm out dealing with consumers and at events and tastings and things like that, peop- anybody who approaches the table that tells me immediately, like a lot of people do, that they're afraid of tequila and they haven't had tequila in years and they had a bad experience. I almost always lead with the reposado when there, when there's some fear because it is buttery and it is smooth and it's sweet. And it's really, this reposado is one of the more easy drinking reposados I've come across and people se- seem to love it. And, and just what you just said about, you know, people having this thought, that's why uh, I started the Agave Social Club podcast. It started as the Agave Social Club for tasting events here in Orlando, and then starting with the podcast, because I want to change the mindset. Unfortunately, so many people, they think back to, you know, a bad day in college or, or a bad night in college that that they, they're drinking tequila. And really what they're drinking is usually diffuser made tequila. And, and that's in the process of how they're cooking that agave. It's not the traditional way. And, and so, you know, we want to start changing, you know, one, one sipper at a time. There's incredible tequila that has lots of complexity, really good to sip on. This, this would really elevate any cocktail, but uh, just a really well done reposado. Yeah. Thank you very much. So now we're, we're going on into the Añejo. 
uh, have not had the Añejo. This is now resting in a barrel for how long? This is resting in a barrel for 24 months, uh, a year older than most Añejos that you find in the market. And so, yeah, it's 17 months longer than the Reposado that we just had. And generally what's happening with the Añejo, for me anyway, is obviously you're starting to get more oak from the barrel because it's in there 17 months longer and definitely starting to pull some vanilla from, from the wood as well. Some, some of that vanilla that's found in the wood and from the whiskey production and, and all that. So it's just what we hear most with the Añejo is uh, vanilla and oak. Although I've had some people, there's some people who have told me they get chocolate and mint. This I've been drinking a lot of this Añejo lately. I like to sip it neat or maybe pour it over a large cube, especially in the summertime. And it's really phenomenal. And again, this Añejo is, it's not super dark. I mean, there's, there's nothing being added to this. This is tequila, minimal ingredients. Uh, it, it's, it's still got uh, great color to it there, uh, really kind of hanging on the glass. Yeah, that smell, that oak really starts to kind of intensify there with a little bit of that mm-hmm. vanilla. I'm excited to try this. I've not had it, so I'm going to get to it. Yeah, go for it. Full disclosure, I'm usually not a big Añejo fan. Uh, this, this is really well done. It's still on the back end. I, I, I get a little of that peppery on the back end. It kind of lingers there, but that, that oak and that vanilla, my, my palate is not like those that are, that are pulling out, you know, plum or, <laughs> you know, any, any of these things. Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm more of a, is it good or is it not good? And, and this is, this is excellent tequila. I, I would think that, uh, for, a tequila old fashioned or something like that, this would also play very well with. Yeah. An old fashioned would be phenomenal. Um, this is what I use for a Manhattan when I make it, when I make a tequila Manhattan, I basically use the, our Añejo and uh, equal parts Añejo to um, the Carpano Antica vermouth, the sweet vermouth from Carpano and just chill it down with some ice and spin it in a glass, you know, with a, with a spoon and get it, diluted down a little bit and then either pour it over a big rock or just drink it neat. And it makes a phenomenal Manhattan. You know, as, as I continue to sip on it and, and I read a descriptor of mint and I never kind of thought I, I could kind of pull that out, but the more I, I sip on it, I, I do kind of get a little bit about that mint yeah. that mint on, on the back end. I agree. Yeah. And the one that I heard from people along the way was chocolate, which I never really found, but what I've noticed lately is if I sip on some of this and have a really nice quality piece of dark chocolate and, and eat a piece of chocolate, the, the tequila and the chocolate do so well together that it made me realize that, that indeed there is something chocolatey happening in the Añejo as well. I was, I was going to surprise you, but then I wanted to give you the option to have it in front of you. So uh, we, we normally are going through three expressions. I do have a bottle of your eight-year extra in Yeho. What, what can you tell me about this? Because I'm, I'm very excited to get to this. So the extra in Yeho that you have there, that's the what we call the, the Lucky Lips edition. And essentially, that's an eight-year extra in Yeho. That bottle you have there was bottled single barrel, which is pretty nice. When we started doing our extra in Yeho program six or seven, six years ago, roughly, something in that number... Um, we realized that we didn't want to blend extra añejos. We wanted to do single barrel f- fillings. And so we wanted people to be able to experience different barrels from the stack. Because when we go to the distillery and we taste different barrels, you can have one barrel right next to another barrel on the stack that tastes completely different. 
And that to us is really fascinating. And so we wanted people to be able to experience that. And so that what you have there is single barrel. Now, it had run out and we're bringing it back in actually late this month or early in September. This eight-year version specifically is, yeah, is basically what we've decided to do for the next version. We're just going to leave it as the Lucky Lips version right now. Um, the difference with it is it's going to be blended this time. It's not going to be single barrel any longer because we recently had to empty barrels and we decided to blend it together and, and come up with more of a blended extra añejo, which I think will be phenomenal as well. Looking at the extra añejo, you know, for this to sit in a barrel for eight years and still be this color, I, I can show you other brands and añejos that are much darker than this. Uh, so real, real craft here. Uh, you know, this is something that a uh, lot of complexity as it's, as it's resting in that barrel for eight years, it's, it's going to start to pick up a, a lot of that barrel there uh, on the nose. I mean, I, I get that Oak. We're, we're, we're definitely, I mean, as some cinnamon, almost leather. I mean, this is a, if, if you're a whiskey drinker, yeah. I mean, this is definitely, this is definitely something that you would love to have. And, and honestly, I do pick up some of this cherry. I, I I've even seen some people say cherry that wasn't thinking I'd pull out, but just, just on the nose there, I, I do get some of that cherry as well. Mm-hmm. A, am I drinking this by myself or, or do you have some extra nail in front of you? Well, you hang on once. I just have to grab okay. it. Hang on one sec. There we go. Sorry. <laughs> No, no, nobody should be drinking extra añejo alone. No, I, and I should have taken the bottle down off the shelf before we started, but I forgot. Yeah, great, great aroma. Uh, he, here's to sipping on some eight-year Suerte extra añejo. Salud. Hmm. It's so delicious. Yeah. This is end of the night. You, you want to treat yourself. I think the the more you sip it, you know, it's, it's almost, there's so much going on that when you sip it, I, I feel like your palate kind of is like, whoa, what's going on. But then as you continue to sip it, it kind of, your palate kind of starts to understand what's happening and you start to pull out a lot of these flavors here. I, I don't know if there's any actual science to that, but just, you know, with it being for eight years, uh, th- there is a lot going on here, but you know, for someone that you may not pick up that vanilla at first and then by a few sips in, you know, all, all I'm getting is that vanilla. Right. Uh, so uh, uh, an absolute real treat here with your extra Nye. Thank you. I agree. So Lawrence, thank you for uh, being on the show. Thank you for uh, sharing the story of, of how this incredible tequila came to be right now. Any, any social media, anything, I want to make sure people website that can find your tequila, that can buy your tequila, that can drink your tequila, anything that you've got, please feel free to share. Yeah, absolutely. So um, find out more about Suerte at drinksuerte.com is our website address. From there, we now have links on our website to a new shop that we actually had built and that we're running now. So we can actually have people order our product online. And you can find that through our website at drinksuerte.com, or you can go directly to the shop at shopsuertetequila.com. Instagram, we're at suertetequila, all one word. The same with Facebook and Twitter. Um, and that's where people can find our feeds and, and see what's going on. I, I encourage everybody to go out and support their local restaurants and bars that are really having a hard time if they're open right now yeah. um, and getting suerte through those folks going to their local stores and helping to support their stores during this hard time as well. Um, but if anybody is out there, can't find suerte easily in their bars and restaurants or their stores, they can go online now and buy it directly and have it shipped right to their front door. 
directly from from us more or less so and again, for anybody that cannot find it uh, on their website, I want to encourage you to go and get it. Uh, you, you guys are running a deal right now that if you buy three bottles, shipping is free. Uh, it'll come FedEx uh, in a few days. So I mean, you, you can really, at, at, at these price points, you could get the Blanco, the Reposado, the Añejo for somewhere around 125 bucks total to get all three of these shipped to your door. So want to encourage you to do that if you are not able to find it in a store, but really well done tequila. Lawrence, I just want to say again, thank you for, for your time and thank you for sharing your story about Suerte Tequila. Oh, it's my pleasure, Doug. Thank you so much for having me. That's going to wrap up this episode. A big thanks to Lawrence and Suerte Tequila. You can learn more about Suerte at drinksuerte.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe so you don't miss out on other great episodes. If you're a tequila brand that wants to be on the show, you can reach out to me at theagavesocialclub at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and please drink responsibly.